All right. Hey, this is episode 12 of uh, On Taking Pictures. They're going by fast. Are they going by fast to you? They're going by good to me. I, you know, no good, but I mean, this, I just can't believe we've done, we've done 11 episodes. Yeah. Well, this will be a baker's dozen because of the Hackintosh episode. Which people liked. And if you haven't listened to it uh, and have the slightest interest in Hackintoshes, please go back and listen to that special, special Hackintosh episode. It's very special blossom. Thank you. Uh, so, hey, I'm Jeffrey Sidoris from FadedAndBlurred.com, and with me, as always, is New York editorial fancy pants portrait photographer, <laughs> Bill Wadman. Hi, Jeffrey. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, I'm, I'm better now. I haven't had internet access for a couple of days right. now. Look, if you, can't, it, if you can't pay the bill. Yeah, I know. I know. They, they, Visa will no longer take hopes and dreams. Uh, no, they, 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 I'm with Charter, and, and normally Charter's fantastic. And there was a hardware failure that not only – it affected the whole building, basically. So they had to come out and, and uh, replace some hardware and dig a trench and run new cable or something. I don't know. It took a couple of days. But uh, but you're up and running? Back, back up and running. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's amazing how, uh, I guess, reliant yep, on, that's the word. on internet you, you become in a very short time. I had my phone, my iPhone, which is, is fine for checking email or, and whatnot. But anything beyond that, it's, you know, it's a little slow. Yeah, it's, um, it's a little scary how uh, dependent we are on it. I mean, in some ways, I remember a few years ago, Let's see, it was probably 2003. I think there was a big blackout in New York City mm-hmm. um, on a really hot night in the summertime, like tonight. I remember hearing about that. People just kind of came out and, and, and talked to one another, yeah. which they don't normally do, I talked guess. Talked to there. one another, and there were pe- people in like major intersections directing traffic just because. And it was huh. it, people had portable battery powered radios on the street, and it was, it was like a free for all. Um, and what was it? Was it a was it a hacker crash thing? No, or it was somebody? some sort of uh, some you know substation somewhere went bad and it shifted all the stuff further down the line and it tripped breakers or some kind of crazy thing. Weird. And there was a fire too or something. Anyway, the the long and short of it is that I was without power for um, I don't know a couple of days, maybe a day, day and a half, which I know is nothing compared to the people like in D.C. recently. Uh, after that storm. But um, I remember I had a little laptop and I gave myself till the end of the battery on my laptop to finish writing some flash game or another that I was working on, hmm. which I think is still available somewhere online. Um, but it was just like, it you don't realize it's, it's gotten to the point where for many people, it's as important as electricity, you know? Well, that's pretty much the only reason I have electricity is so that you can get on the computer. I can get online. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, I could live in a hut like the Unabomber or something out in the woods. You don't want to do that. No, I really don't because I'd still want Wi-Fi, to be honest with you. So last week we talked about uh, workflow. And That's sp- right. Specifically my workflow. Because it is all about you. Well, and I pointed out that the way I do things is not necessarily the way you should do things. It's just the, what works for me. Right, right. However, we got some feedback because everyone's always very upset about things. <laughs> and it is the internet after all. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of a venue for people to be upset. Well, why, don't we, why don't we start with the, with the light feedback? Okay. Um, uh, we got uh, a listener, uh, Rick Paulson, wrote in. Thank you, Rick. 
says that uh, he 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 uses Lightroom as well. However, for him, he does a chronological file structure, works better than arranging by subject matter. In addition to year-month organization model, I tag classes of images that I reshoot every year, such as youth baseball, grandchildren, gardens, etc. These tags are really useful. Lightroom seamless integration with SmugMug, which lets the viewer filter and sort SmugMug galleries to their personal taste. Sure. Um, oh, a lot of people that use SmugMug and, right. and Lightroom and love it. And I, this is a use case to which uh, is very different than mine and just shows mm-hmm. you how differently you could do things. Um, Does it make sense to you in terms of like, do, do you go, can you look at that and go, oh, I could see where that would be helpful? Or is that so removed from the way you do things that you couldn't imagine using that type of workflow? Uh, for me, it wouldn't work at all. Okay. Uh, but I'm not doing the same things sort of annually or, or monthly you know, mm-hmm. my my business is not as cyclical as it sounds like Rick's is. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, like even when I put my date in, in the uh, – sometimes I put the a short version of the date in the file name when I'm renaming them. Uh, the reason I do that mostly is just to keep the pictures of Jeffrey Sidoris today different than the ones that I took of you a year ago or something. Okay. Right? Um, I, I just use a chronological folder structure. It's very simple. You actually do it by date. Mm-hmm. And you find that that's easy to find something? Like, do you know that, oh, I, I remember it was in 2007 and not 2008 that I took that photo? Well, it, it will be like, you know, it, first of all, I have, I have the year folders. Yep. And then I've got um, by, by date with, with some sort of, not tag, but, you know, like uh, 2011... 721 right. uh, Yosemite or something. Right. Um, so there, I, there's a there's a keyword in the in the file or the folder name rather as well. Yeah. Um, but but that's I just know, I, I just lean towards having it be have there be a Yosemite folder somewhere inside of a places or trips folder, and then inside of that, if I've been to Yosemite multiple times, maybe there's a folder for a bunch of different dates that I was there. That's but, actually a good idea. Like that's. That's generally the way I think about it. I mean, look at this. I, my this work needs work. Well, the point is, is that it's it's all to your personal taste, right? Like this works for Rick. My thing works for me. I am right. not uploading stuff to SmugMug. Maybe SmugMug works in such a way that it makes it really easy if you have them done that way um, chronologically. And he also does all the tagging, which I never do. Um, I sometimes use like keyword searches, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I already sort of know my keywords cause there's a portraits section and a places section and a, you know, right. I just sort of lay it out that way in my file structure based upon keyword in some way. Um, so it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's just something different. Um, so anyway, he's out there. One other thing he said, he says the disappointing thing about Lightroom is the lack of network support. I'd like to see someone, uh, something like a team edition of Lightroom that lets multiple users access catalogs across the network. Um, I've never tried that. Is, is it really impossible? Like if you put, does Lightroom lock itself if you I, open it? You're asking the wrong person. I have no idea. I, mean, I, I would I just be like surprised. to be able to search through multiple catalogs without having to open them first. Well, why do you break it up into multiple catalogs? Do you really think it's that much faster? Um... Probably not. Uh, I don't know. I, I just, I like having, you know, like a street photography catalog and, you know, yeah. landscape catalog. I, and I don't, I can't even really tell you why I do. It's just kind of the way I set it up initially. And I, the thing is, I don't have, 
<clears throat> pardon me, I don't have the volume of photos where it would take me weeks or even days to to do it a different way. Sure. You know, I could probably restructure the way I do things in a matter of hours and and be done with it. And maybe I will. Maybe I'll try a couple of different things and and report back and and you know let you know what I've come up with or something. Yeah. No, I I I, I think it's interesting and I, I you know, I wonder how people used to do it in the past, you know. Uh they had their negatives and binders, Bill. That's well, how they I did have it. my negative it's funny because one time I was over uh, Timothy Greenfield Sanders' house, and we were talking, and he was showing me all of his prints down in his basement, which is where he keeps all his stuff. See, he's the one with the, the big 8x10 camera that you shot? 11 by 14 11 by 14 I stand corrected. Uh, but that's the same guy? That guy. That's the guy? Yeah. Okay. Um, and he has all of his stuff in sort of like this vault in the basement of his studio, as apparently a lot of these guys do. Um, and he has them in boxes. Now, his stuff is all negatives or Polaroid prints out of a large format camera mostly. And he has them numbered. Each print is numbered and then it's in a box. So it might be print 37 in box 24. Okay. And what is box 24? Is that arbitrary or does box 24 correspond to something I think it's like somewhat, a legend? Or no, a key I think it's just sort? when box 23 got full, he moved on to box 24. Wow. Now, right. But so what he does is he's got like a FileMaker Pro database where he can say, show me the pictures of George Bush and it'll say box oh, okay. 13 picture User 73. Inbox. Okay. Okay. You know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he pulled one down and, you know, opened it up and flipped through and showed me how he does it, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and he made, I made some comment about how this was like a lot of space. And he says, well, how do you, how do you keep track of all your images? And, I was like the total number of, you know, total of all the film that I've shot as a serious photographer can fit into three or four of those sort of plastic box binder things, you know? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's a few hundred rolls say, but those things don't take up that much space, you know? Right. I'm not the guy who has 43, uh, large giant file cabinets in my right. apartment. Right. To keep track or of a, it. a bank vault full of images or something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not Jay Maisel. Um, but in some ways I am Jay Maisel. I just have it all digitally and it all fits on a hard drive. That's three and a half by six and a half by one inch. Didn't you get yelled at by Jay? Yes, I did get yelled at by Jay Maisel. <laughs> you are an effing idiot. <laughs> yeah. Actually, he may have called uh, me an asshole. But that's, that's classic. <laughs> yeah. He's, he said it in a loving manner though. You, you well, sure. And, and as long as you believe that, that's all that counts. Speaking of people who love me, <laughs> really? This guy doesn't love you. No, well, he might. I don't know. He doesn't love you. So this, I got tweeted at the other night. This is comedy gold right here. And the guy says, <laughs> your podcast reveals your arrogant, cynical, sour, hypercritical personality. That's uh, impressive. Wow. It's really impressive. That, that, that's... That, just that you could put all of those in one sentence and, and still have it kind of work. Hey, he's listening. So that's, you know, that's the important part. Um, I will say, however, though, that... Uh, I don't this, think you're sour. Yeah. <laughs> you're all the rest of those, but not sour. Um, it just, it, it, you know, and the, the guy has a lot. He, tw- he, he tweets twice a year. Like his last tweet before yelling at me was 218 days ago. Wow. So he's prolific. 
and the one before that 368 days ago all right um well then you should you know the thing is you should feel that much more arrogant cynical sour etc that 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 you would elicit i i'm i'm honored that i can piss somebody off that much um it just goes to show you though man you can't you really you can't make everybody happy is it, uh, and that goes uh, with your work, that goes with your portfolio, that goes with your business tactics, your price, and you just have to be willing to. You know, I wrote the guy back. I said thanks. Wow. You know, any response? Um, no, but there would have been a time in my life not that long ago when that would be really upsetting to me. I, f- frankly, I'm surprised that it's not. I'm. I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised that it's not that that you're not kind of angsting over. It. I mean, not you know, not sitting in a corner rocking back and forth, but right. but you know, sort of that an itch that you keep scratching, going. Uh, if if the guy's other tweets weren't quite as nutty as they are, okay. you know, I might it feel is. a little worse about it. Um. But hey, you know what? Like you, you know, you, people are yelling. If they're if they're throwing tomatoes at you, you're doing something right. That's right. That's right. What is, there's no such thing as bad publicity or right. bad press or something. Don't okay. get in a fight with somebody who buys ink by the barrel. <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah, you ever hear that adage? I have never. It's an old heard newspaper that. adage. Never pick a fight with somebody who buys ink by the barrel. Okay, uh, that's a good one. I, that that is good. That is good. Um, Anyway, just it's just it's uh, it's interesting. So you know we have we have people who write us and say they love the show, and then we have people who say that I'm an arrogant, cynical, sour, hypercritical personality. <laughs> At least you're a personality. That's There's true. That. That's that's positive. I don't think I'm that bad though. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know you're gonna angst about it now. Yeah. See, now you got me started. Uh, <laughs> all right. So let's move on. What do we got? Hey, uh, the, these. Okay, we 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 talked a little bit. Actually, we talked a little bit over the course of two shows about uh, Olympic athletes, and we talked a little bit about Andy Leibovitz. Uh, you sent me this this uh, gallery, this ESPN gallery today, and and there are I there are some stunning images in this gallery. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, you know, we're not talking props or a lot of production. I mean, they're just they're just dramatic and and dynamic images. Beautiful, beautiful work. They so, are they are excellent excellent photography. So what we got here, a bunch of different photographers. Uh, Richard Fibbs, uh, who else is shooting in here? Francesco Carlazzini, uh, Peter Hapek. Uh, this was for the ESPN body issue, I think it's called. Yeah, it's called Bodies We Want 2012. Yeah, and basically it's a bunch of really high end uh, photographers shooting some really high end athletes. Um, who are nude? Uh, who are nude? Yes. Uh, although the, the athletes, not the always, always covering themselves or twisted in such a way that you don't see anything. Right. But um, really brilliant work. Really, be- really brilliant work. Uh, really simple lighting setups most of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the majority of these are a single light or a single light and a reflector. You know, um, or 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 backlit or just they're just beautiful. Um, I don't like every single one of them. I think I think a few of them are a little. There's a guy who's the tight end for the New England Patriots, mm-hmm. uh, by Peggy Sirota, um, which looks like it's uh, like this hard life in the front. Actually, you know, it's a ring light, and uh, you know, it's fine. But it, th- those are it's like interesting. Eh. 
you've got some sort of Terry Richardson esque shots yep. in here. You've like got those, some Herb yeah. Ritz kind of things yep. in here. You've got uh, and and you know who knows whether it's intentional or, or unintentional, but it's interesting to see. You know, it kind of goes back to to what you're you're saying uh, a lot about. You know, there, there's really nothing new. There's new ways of interpreting, but you really are just sort of interpreting that which has come before you in some on yeah. some level. Yeah, I mean, and all of the, yeah, all of these. There's there's. It's not like they're breaking crazy new ground. These are just extremely well done portraits. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some sort of silhouette kind of thing going on. We'll put the link in the uh, in the show notes. Um, yeah, but they're, they're really good. The the, the uh, oh, what is it? We were talking about it before the the show. The the girl oh. on the boat. Oh, you love the girl on the boat. Tunnicliff. Okay, is that how you pronounce her name? Do you think? Uh, Tunnicliff. Yeah, that could be it. Anna, Anna or Anna Tunnicliff. I mean, she looks like she's just chiseled out of marble. Yeah. See, I like that first shot, man. That oh, soccer the, guy, the rugby soccer guy. Yeah. I mean, literally, yeah, it's like this incredibly ripped guy. With a soccer ball on his shoulder, he's covered in mud, and it's lit by. I think it might actually even be just sort of black placards around him and lit by mm. sunlight coming from above, or just some really big soft light. Um, and it just goes to show you, you don't need crazy stuff. I mean, like you said, what'd you say? It's it's the guy, the mud, the ball. That's yeah. it. Yeah, uh, that, and that's it. Um. But I mean, it, it helps that the guy's a good-looking guy, too. Right. Um, but it's just, uh, that's a great shot. Makes me want to shoot longer lenses. Makes me want to be a better man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, you could be if you weren't so, what is it? Uh, let me get it right. Arrogant, cynical, sour, hypercritical. hypercritical. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. I'll work on that. <laughs> But this is, I, I guess the point is that this is all an example of how differently somebody can do uh, right. the, the, these shots. You know, and I was thinking about that guy, the thing we brought up two weeks ago and then redid last week, the guy whose people were complaining about his pictures, right? Right, right. And apparently he showed up with lenses and cameras to shoot people on stage and it turned out that they wanted more of a setup. So he borrowed somebody's like little... He kind of shared some. One of the other guys shared his booth with him, so he right. could have some yeah, paper. The or whole setup turned out not being what he was originally told it right. would be. The thing is, maybe the the right way to have handled that versus how he did would be to instead of trying to do the studio gig, right? Mm-hmm. Find a nice wall and do really, really simple. You know what I mean? Like, go outside the back of the place and find a little uh, shaded wall and do, like, simple, really serious portraits of each of them okay. in the same kind of situation, you know? Sort of an Abaddon type yeah. thing. Like, if yeah. you only got two minutes with the people and you don't have all your lights set up and you, you know, you know, it kind of felt like he was not a big studio lighting guy anyway, just mm-hmm. from the photos. What, you know, go with your strengths, you know? Sure. Um I just I lean towards towards doing that kind of thing, uh, and it, but it just shows you between Annie and that the the uh, Claymar guy and these ones for ESPN just shows you how many different things you can do with athletes. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, and you can go from very simple as in these or um, all the way up to Joel Grimes type of things where you're compositing. Uh, yeah. who, do, who does some beautiful work, uh, yeah. shoots in studio and then composites with background plates that he shoots elsewhere. 
no rules. I think I think that's what Annie did too. With oh, with the uh, some of those, the, the, some of the Vanity Fair pictures. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm suspect of those. But I mean, I, either way, no, was, they're they're pretty. I'm just saying that I don't think that they are necessarily her best work. But we discussed that in like episode two, right? Um. So anyway, just kind of good stuff. Uh, what else? Well, you wanted to. We we talked a little bit about Sally Mann a few episodes back. Um, and you, you had brought up, uh, well, your friend, why don't you take over here? Your, your friend Claude, Claude yeah. brought up Jock Sturges. Yeah, he, he, he brought up Jock Sturges and he says, well, you know, Jock Sturges is an example of a guy who was shooting stuff that some people could consider more pornographic as it were. Right. Um, now a little background, Sally Mann, uh, photographed her children for years as, as, art pieces in her portfolio and and it was when they they got a little older and they became less comfortable with being photographed uh that she did end up stopping but a lot of people kind of reacted to it as if they were crossing a line or if they were as if they were inappropriate um which might be an interesting twitter or or email discussion um to put out to people if you if you think these types of photographs once you've talked about jock here yeah um or sally man are they inappropriate do they cross a line is what is the line between art you know and uh anyway go ahead well he uh, you know he shot lots of nude adolescents and that kind of stuff as well uh and 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 people complained about it and uh you know he shot girls from when they were really young till in their 20s apparently in 1990 his studio was raided by fbi hmm um but they declined to bring an indictment against him. Uh, but it's a good example. It's like, I don't know necessarily that Sally Mann has ever been, you know, talked to by child services saying that she was being. And, and, well, and, and, and is that the thing? I mean, are, are any of these photographs of his children or the, the, the I wouldn't imagine they are, are they? Uh, no, I think these are other people. Okay. But Sally so, Mann's were of her kids, right? Mostly. Right. So is that, is that the difference? Is it is it somehow different? A because Sally Mann is shooting her own children, and, and B would it be different if it was their father shooting them, not their mother? Right. I mean, these is are that all somehow so, different. Yeah, I don't know. Um, for some reason, Jock's pictures feel a little bit more creepy to me. What do you think it is? I. <laughs> You know, even though some of Sally Mann's pictures have them, her kids sort of dolled up. In fact, there are a couple where, like, the the young girl has makeup on and that kind of stuff. Um, um, sure. I don't know if there's makeup. I think in a couple of hers, like, it's kind of done up looking more adultish. There's, like, okay. one shot that I'm trying to think of. Is that I, – I sometimes get Sally Mann's stuff confused with uh, – oh, what's her name? Not Sally Mann. Who is it? I don't know. Who are you talking about? Uh, Margaret Cameron? Is that, oh, is that what I'm trying to think of? Older? Wait, new or old? What are we? Uh, still shooting. Oh, then I don't Julia, know. Julia Margaret Cameron? Oh, she, no, that, she's the old that, one. She's the one from the 1800s. Okay, so it's not her then. Uh, I'll, I'll find I'll come the back. picture. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll come back. But there's something about his, that the, of, of these photos, these Jock Sturges photos sometimes that feel a little bit more... Mary Ellen Mark. Sorry. Oh, there you go. 
uh, feel a little more sexualized somehow. And I don't know if it's because it was a guy taking the pictures. I mean, hmm. it goes back to our old thing. But the point is that here's an example of somebody who's doing something very similar to Sally Mann, arguably before Sally Mann, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and not necessarily and getting raided by the FBI for it, you know. Right. So obviously there is some sort of bias in our in our society, perhaps. Um, there is kind of a tonal difference in some of them as I'm looking through them. How do you mean? they're I don't know they're just staged in a different way um, they're they're posed in different ways they're I don't know maybe it's I don't, I don't know okay. they're good I mean there are some good photographs in here but I yeah. could see where where there's a line that perhaps people think he may be crossing yeah but where is that line I don't know I mean, not to not to get too deep into it, but like, I mean, it's 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 a naked human body. Like, you know, it's not like he's sexual. Like, it's not like he's having sex with these kids or or you know, selling these as 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 kitty porn or something. You know, mm-hmm. um, and if the but parents knew and these kids were okay, art. yeah, I yeah. don't know. It's it's a know. weird thing. Um. It's 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 a difficult discussion. I don't know where I sit on it. I think some of these are very beautiful, and I think some of them are kind of like, eh, that's creepy. But, you know, that's me. I'm just one person out of 300 million in this country, you know? Yeah, I'd love to get some feedback. Um, put a link in the to, to the Google image search or something in the in the show notes and see. Already there. Kind of, yeah, okay, well, there you go. Um so we'll, we'll 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 come back around on that and see if I yeah, yeah. I want to get some input. So uh, what's our email? Uh, podcast at untakingpictures.com. You had brought up something that I, I think is an interesting discussion about um, Magnum, yeah, uh, Magnum photographers or, or the Magnum agency. Yep. Um, is it still relevant? Does it still matter? Do agencies like that matter? Well, especially this is an article that I saw in the British Journal of Photography. Mm-hmm. Um, does Magnum Photos still make sense? A report because Magnum's been around for sixty-five years, and they have a whole bunch of photographers on staff. Um, for those of you who don't know what Magnum's all about, the, after World War II, um, a bunch of photographers got together and created sort of they wanted the right they wanted to keep the rights to their images. They wanted to uh, be able to make news and, and sell their images to people, uh, but but to con- have more control over it all, all of it. So uh, Kappa and Chim Seymour and Cartier-Bresson and a bunch of other guys got together in 1946 or 40, 47, I think. Um, it was Kappa's idea originally, apparently. And they got together and started, founded uh, this sort of consortium this cooperative, as it were, uh, where the photographers owned the, the company. Uh, and and the, the rights to their images. And the rights to their images. And right. it's funny because apparently the photographers meet once a year in June um, and to, to discuss uh, the affairs that are going on. And they can uh, present portfolios of other people to apply to be members. And I, from what I understand, I think everyone has to vote 
I think I don't know if it's a straight up and down vote. Like you know, if 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 I think they it's it's a majority vote to allow people in. So everyone mm-hmm. who's there has to vote to bring people in or not bring people in. Um, which is just kind of it's just fascinating. You know, it's sort of like it's sort of like the inner sanctum. This is the uh, the skull and bones society of news photography. Right, is right, to right. be a Magnum guy. Um, so what's the downside? Well, I, it's there's no downside, I don't think, except for the fact that photography is getting much cheaper to do. So mm-hmm. the idea that you have these guys who are traveling the world taking these pictures for the news agencies, I guess part of the question is whether or not they can survive in a in a day and age when things are turned around in minutes or hours and people pay less for the images, you know? Right, right. Um it's it's and some people say that they're very biased towards Europe, obviously, you know, because these are a bunch of European and a few American photographers. Isn't um, Elliot Erwitt in there? Uh, good question. I can check. I thought Elliot Erwitt was was part of Magnum. Maybe not any anymore, but at one point Elliot wasn't. was. Yes, is is okay. Yeah. Uh, lots of lots of people are. Uh, I think Martin Parr is in there, who whose work I I really like. Um, and so, but so it's, it's a very interesting, it's, it's an interesting article and it just kind of begs the question of how the industry is changing. And it, it, it always felt to me that Magnum was sort of a little bit of a, um, there's a little bit of a, we're better than everybody else. We are, we're sort of the high end art news photographers and, you know, we deserve more and we're better, you know? Um, mm. And maybe they are. Uh, but I think that the idea, the, the, the whole, but can that model withstand the changes? That's, that's your, that's what you're asking. Yeah. And, and there's very much sort of a, the sense of a, um, <laughs> that back in the day when Magnum was started, I mean, guys like Kappa and Carte Bresson were, were gentlemen playboy photographers. You know what I mean? They were, sure. They were like traveling the world and had their camera and it was, it was, it was romantic, you know, in, in, in that sort of 1940s, 1950s sense. Um, and the question is, 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 is it, is Magnum photos a throwback to that time? And is it still relevant nowadays? Um, mm-hmm. it's just, it's interesting. Uh, anyway, I'll put it, I'll put it in the, uh, show notes and we'll, we can, we can, uh, see what people think. Yeah, again, read read it and, and chime in with some feedback. Yeah. Uh hey, uh we have our uh we have a sponsor back. Yes. Well, I don't think but they, they not that they went anywhere, but because of the holidays and things, we uh we things got we, a little jumbled around. We got jumbled around. Yeah. Uh who we got? I think it's still Red River. Red River paper. There you go. And uh and they're doing something a little extra special for us this month, correct? Yes, uh, with sample packs. Um, they've, they've dropped the price on sample packs. I think it was seven ninety nine. Yeah, I do believe it is. So $5 off. Which is a great deal. Yeah, it's a great deal. Um, I did some more printing last week, as a matter of fact. And how they look? Uh, the prints look great. <laughs> <laughs> how do the photographs look? They're okay. I, you know, I'm doing this, this iPhone experiment with myself. 
um, which is, is kind of appropriate because what we wanted to talk about today. But um, it's a different way of shooting. It's very strange holding the camera out in front of you, or, or you know, not you know, kind of going from from this point and shoot where you're where you're looking through a lens to a DSLR where you're looking through a lens, and now back to where you're holding the camera virtually at arm's length. Uh, it's a very strange way of seeing because you see everything else that's going on around the scene. Yeah. Yes. Sure. So it's it's uh, it's very strange. You I don't, don't like know it. if I like it, uh, but I'm I'm enjoying kind of seeing what it's doing and and what I'm able to get out of it. And you're printing those more often. I'm printing them more not just because. Uh, their iPhone shots necessarily, but because I'm, I've, I'm finding that I'm enjoying the printing process again. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm enjoying having, you know, like we talked about in, in one of the earlier shows, having these sort of objects uh, to flip through there. It's the same reason I, I, I still enjoy um, reading paper books uh, instead of just doing everything on my iPad. You know, right. there, there's, there's the, the tactility of it. There's the sound of the, of the, of the page, flipping and and there's the smell especially of of older books i buy a lot of of uh used books um and it's just i find that it's more visceral Uh, i enjoy taking pictures with a camera with a shutter much more because of that Mm -hmm. even if it's a digital camera or digital slr uh, the idea that it's that something's moving (laughs) is much more satisfying to me than pressing a button or tapping the screen and having it just kind of still freeze the video. Yeah. You know, I'm still um, on the hunt for a camera. I, I, I think now uh, you've got me watching this, this BBC series, which I've found. And what'd you uh, think? Uh, I've watched the first episode and I'm really liking it a lot. Okay. Uh, particularly um, talking about this, this sort of uh, competition between Daguerre and uh, oh god, what's his name now? Come on, uh, it's not. I'm, I'm going to get the name. It's not William Notman. He was the composite guy. Uh, <laughs> I need to call a lifeline. I'm totally brain freezing now. Who is it? Uh, good question. Oh, see how you are, uh, uh, Henry Fox Talbot, pro- rather. Talbot, okay, Talbot, right. So there's this this, Sorry, this sort of second. battle going on between Daguerre and Talbot in these competing processes, and I just found it interesting that that they the processes and and the men behind them sort of contrasted each other on every level. Yeah. Um, but Daguerre and, was all about a one-off, right? And, and Talbot, Talbot was all came about, up with this thing you could share with the masses. Yeah, reproducibility. Um, so you know, and it's, it's got me thinking about wet plate again. And I was I was looking at at Ian Rudder's work again, where he's doing these you know four by five foot wet plate uh, uh, photographs. Um, I, yeah, there's there's something that's bubbling in my photographic future, and I don't know where that's going to be. But I, I I want to do something that's that's more process, more physical process driven than. Uh, Photoshop and Lightroom and that kind of thing. So uh, I, I'm, I'm still kind of on the lookout for uh, uh, maybe a suitable view camera or something to get me back into the mechanics of, of photography rather than just just the the sort of moving electrons around. So what are you uh, what are you printing on 
Which paper have you been printing on? You know, because I've been doing the the black and whites, I'm I'm back to polar matte. And how does it, how do you how does it look for the for the black and whites? Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really really good. Uh I'm I'm pretty well surprised at how good a job the iPhone 4S does at at capturing, you know, it, providing you've got enough light. Uh, I will say that providing yep. you've, got enough, you've got enough light, it does a great job. Um, and then uh, I'm loving the printer. I mean, it's you know I'm printing on a ginormous printer these these eight by tens, but it's fun. You can get the polar mat double sided too, so you can print on both sides. Yeah, I'm. You know, I tried that. I've got some double sided, and I'm not able to. The 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 indexing is slightly off from one side to the other. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm not quite sure how um, to get closer, you know, there, yeah. there, there's, if I, if I crop for one or trim the print from, from, for one, I'm either leaving white space or cutting off part of the print on the backside. I've, I've been fairly unsuccessful so far. I gotcha. Well, uh, so I, I mean, I'm sticking with the, uh, what's the one I like? The, um, satin. The Ultra Pro Satin? Yeah, the Ultra Pro Satin is what you dig. Oh, I, I have some of that based on your recommendation. I, and again, I prefer that for color um, yeah. because it, it, it's really sick. Uh, but for, for black and white, I'm really enjoying the matte. Yeah, it's good stuff. So uh, if you want to go try some of these out, again, for $7.99, which uh, normally $12.99, for $7.99, uh, listeners can go get one of the, uh, with free shipping, uh, can get one of these sample kits. Uh, I think, just, do, you, do you have to put in OTP? Is that use, how uh, use the code OTP kits to get the discount on the kits. Okay. And then uh, if you like one of the papers, which I'm sure you will if you print it all, uh, you when you place your order for uh, a whole box of something, uh, use the promo code OTP and you get 10% off. They also do rolls. So if you've got a, a larger yeah, printer. Yeah, your, your you printer do rolls? Yes. And do you use that? I have not yet. Uh, I need a new uh, cutting blade. So the cutting blade is built into the to the printer. Yeah, it sits right below the 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 print heads on the carriage. Oh, and really? You can either cut manually or uh, you can specify you know gutters or borders and and it'll it'll lop off at the appropriate. See, place. that's cool. Yeah, it is. It's kind of neat. So you can get the Ultra Pro satin. Let's see, roll seventeen inch roll for less than seventy sixty seven dollars for a hundred foot. How much is a twenty four inch? Uh, ninety bucks, eighty nine twenty five. That's, that's that's crazy cheap. That is crazy cheap. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, go go to Epson. Look at the same thing at Epson. Or, Seriously, how know, much? HP or something. Uh, it was a couple three hundred dollars, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, there know. you go. I'll, go. I'll go look. Uh, so yeah, so OTP is the code. If you go to uh Red River Paper slash OTP, you'll get to a little landing page which will give you the details. Uh, so thanks for Red River Paper helping us out. So what do you want to talk about today, Jeffrey? I don't know. Now, you wanted to talk about going outside your comfort zone. I think that's always a good thing, regardless of whether you are a writer or an artist or a painter or a photographer or a sculptor. Anytime you can go outside of your your routine, your comfort zone, um, anytime you can put up barriers between you and the end product, right. you are will find a way around those barriers and probably be the better artist for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I have felt stuck lately. 
Yeah, we talked about that a little. Yeah, I uh, I don't have a good. I'm not. I'm I'm somewhat uninspired, and it's my own fault. I mean, I'm not blaming anybody else. I've just I've been doing some stuff to try to get it a little bit more. I don't know. It's just I've not been inspired lately, and uh, it's it's a little frustrating, you know. Um, so one of the things that I did recently is I don't I don't normally shoot I shoot portraits right, but I don't really shoot fashion. Um, have you ever? I have shot fashion a handful of times, but not for anybody but myself. You know. Okay. Um, my general feeling about it is that it's too. And I'm gonna get beat up for this. It's too easy. Right? Fashion is too easy. Yeah. How do you mean? Is uh, it be- because of the beautiful people you're photographing, or you, what, have, you have beautiful models with beautiful makeup jobs, with beautiful hair, wearing beautiful clothes. How can you go wrong? I I would screw it up. I still think <laughs> I'd go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I need to shoot things that don't move. Is is really what it comes down well, to? Well, you know, and you have people who know how to model too, right? Sure. Um, so, see, I, I'm I'm going to have to disagree with you. Okay. Well, I, I go ahead. Go ahead. A let's, few let's weeks ago, I uh, I contacted a, a a girl named Katrina Eugenia, who I had seen on uh, there's some photographer who does a series for Esquire called Me and My Place. You ever see these pictures? Me and my place. No, I'm me in my place. Me in my place. In fact, I think it might be me in my Okay. And he gets these beautiful young women to, you know, walk around their apartment scantily clad and he takes pictures of them. And they're up on Esquire.com a lot. He's got a whole feature. Okay. And this girl was one of the people that this guy took pictures of. And I saw the pictures and it said that she, you know, lived in Brooklyn and and then I went and looked up her own stuff. And uh, she uh, is a photographer and a painter and an artist herself. Um, and so last week, and I've been meaning to get in touch with her. So last week I wrote her an email or two weeks ago, I wrote her an email and said, Hey, uh, you know, you have a lot of great pictures of you, but we can do better. You know, you're a beautiful girl. We can do better. And, and she wrote back, she's like, totally. And I said, you know, we should try some sort of, more old fashioned Hollywood. Like I want to do some kind of older pictures of you and more, a little more classy. And she was all down for that. And so she, uh, is friends with, a, uh, a guy who has access to Norman Mailer's, the writer's old apartment in Brooklyn Heights. Okay. So we went over to this apartment last Thursday, I guess it was to take some pictures. And she, she has friends who are all, uh, 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 designers and, and clothing designers and that kind of thing. So we took all kinds of pictures. We spent four or five hours taking pictures around this apartment with a bunch of different mm. outfits. Um, uh, Claude came with me. We brought, uh, I brought some lights with us and we, we took all kinds of stuff. I came home with 962 pictures or something like that. That's which, a lot for you, which for me is a, a huge amount. It's, it's yeah. four times what I would ever normally take. Um, but that's what you get when you're shooting for four or five hours, which is also nothing I would normally do. And I'm also not a guy who will shoot five different looks and four different setups and, you know, do that whole thing. Um, so we shot a whole bunch of stuff and it was fun and she's very beautiful. And if you go to ontakingpictures.com 
right now and scroll down a little bit or I'll put them in the show notes. There's a link to a bunch of the images from the shoot, which I think came out pretty good. I actually had a hard time because this, I, I got it down to 400 and then I got it down to 200. Getting it from 200 down to like 50 or 30 was really difficult because there were a lot of good ones in there. And that's not because I'm particularly good at this. It's just that, you know, you get a big light source on a beautiful woman and it's not hard to get good pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I brought two alien bees and two speed lights, depending on what I wanted, what I was trying to do. Now, why didn't you, why didn't you use your pro photo heads? Uh, well, I only have one pro photo light, which is the QB, which actually I'm selling at the moment because I find that I never use it. Um, hmm. not that it doesn't put out beautiful light. It's just that I don't normally need something that's battery powered. Okay. Um, and so, so we, your bees, you were plugging in your bees. You didn't yeah, plugged you didn't, in the bees, okay. and okay. I had speed lights if we needed to do something little and handheld. Uh, and we used, I used one big, you know, forty-eight inch Octabank on one of the alien bees for probably seventy or eighty percent of the shots. You know, sort of Annie Leibovitz style, right? One big light okay. off to the side, and they came out great. Um, if it, it, it's just, I mean, there was a handful of shots that I used, like one of the. Uh, speed lights is a little kicker, you know, on the okay. other side or whatever. On the it other is. side, yeah. Are you are you more of a fan of using speed lights to fill in than reflectors? Do you do you not use reflectors much? Um, reflectors are great for fill, but they're not enough to. Most of the time, they're not enough to like give a rim light or something like that. Sure, sure. Unless you happen to be able to catch the sun or something. I'm fine with the reflectors. In fact, there was a point at which we were out on the the. There's like a balcony on the on the apartment. And we were out in the balcony and we ended up using sort of a, the gold foil reflector to fill in the other side and, and, and kill the contrast. And it worked great. You know, hmm. you know I'm all for reflectors. Uh, in fact, I had lunch last week with uh, my buddy Randy, um, who's been around forever, who's in uh, our photographer of the week this week. Uh, he used to assist him. So he had oh, wow. crazy stories from back in the day. Huh, um, but, you know, one of the things that uh, – that Randy was saying is that he he was he was up in Colombia recently. Hope he doesn't mind me telling this story. Was it recently or a long time ago? I think it was recently. And he was taking pictures for something, and then they wanted to do a quick headshot kind of thing of one of the guys for the magazine. So he's like, "Sure, yeah, I'll come over here by the window." And apparently, the the guy who was with him helping him out, not his assistant, just like another guy from the school who was who was you know there during the shoot held open i think it was like the school catalog or whatever it is and they used that as just a white bounce to fill in a little bit huh. on the other side um and then he was telling me that he went out in the courtyard and there was some guy who had like a six light setup set up in the courtyard to take these pictures of people and he's just like and you know we did it with the sun and a book you know a phone right. book right 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 um which is what it comes out. Yeah, I'm all I'm all for reflectors. Uh, the the reason why I wanted I needed a speed light is just because I wanted like a little sort of just a little hint on her hair at one mm-hmm. point. But I guess the difference between what I normally do and this kind of stuff is that I wasn't talking to her, right? I mean, we were talking and and I was you know oh try this try that whatever. It was more directing. Okay. Where normally when I'm taking portraits, I'm having a conversation with the people because I'm trying to make them feel comfortable. This is a girl who already feels comfortable in front of a camera. She does it all the time. She's been in Playboy, you know? Um, so this is not new to her, you know? Um, and there's something about that that was almost a little, like it had me a little off my game. Like I felt like something was missing, you know? And I was getting so much good stuff out of it that it just felt odd to me. 
But mm. the practical upshot of all this is that I was doing something I don't normally do, which is precisely what you need to do more often. You know, people get sure. stuck in a rut. I get stuck in a rut all the time. Um, I mean, you, you, I mean, you're, you're good about trying to, to do new things. I, well, I don't know if I'm, 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 I don't know if I'm good at it. Uh, I, I try a lot of things. <laughs> you know, we're, we're doing, uh, an ebook project that we haven't really talked about, uh, Nikki and I, um, and it's completely new from the writing to the shooting to, you know, everything about it is, has, has taken both of us well out of our respective comfort zones. Um, and, you know, I really don't know where we're going to land with it, but I'm, I'm glad that we're doing it just because we're going through this process. And, and if I'm being completely honest, because I don't know where I'm going to land. That makes you know? it more interesting for you. Yeah, because I, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't know if it's going to sell, if it's not going to sell, if it's going to get in front of somebody who then goes, hey, I love what you did here. I'd love you to come design this or you know, work on this project with us. I, I have no idea. And, and my friend Mike used to always say, just do the work. Don't, don't worry about the outcome. Just, just em, em, embroil yourself in the process and I, yeah. see where it leads. I think that's a fantastic way to think about it. Um, I mean, that when I years ago when I was doing that 365 portraits thing, it was all about – I just had my head down for a year. I mean, mm-hmm. I was shooting every day for a year. Well, and um, you were doing like full-on realized produced shoots every day. Every day, yeah. Not just, hey, I've got, you know, a bounce card and my camera. Yeah. Although, I mean, some days the lighting was that simple. But, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it was definitely a deliberate, like, we're going to take an hour or two to take these pictures of you um, almost every day, uh, which made it interesting. But in some ways, it was the most fruitful of the projects I've ever done probably because I wasn't trying to get anything out of it, you know? Um, but then there's, you know, there's other photographers I know who are just very, very smart at picking subject matters or projects because they sell. You know what I mean? Not really. How do you mean? Uh, the, the Timothy Greenfield Sanders, he did the whole porn star thing, you know? Okay. Um, Whether or not he was actually interested in porn stars I don't know. I, I mean, I can't speak for him, but I have a feeling that he also knew that a book of porn stars clothed in nude doing diptychs of them in the same position clothed in nude would be a good selling book in print and show. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. But, I mean, Michael Greco did uh, his his film and, and a series of photographs on yeah. sort of behind the scenes of, of the adult film industry. Right. And, wildly successful for him and probably led to, you know, directly and indirectly to a number of other of other jobs. Right. Is that the right way to do it? I don't think there is a right way anymore. I okay. I, I think to, to be completely honest that, that the market and the people who make up the market have changed so much that the blueprint that you could have followed 20 years ago or 25 years ago or even 10 years ago is out the window. Hmm. You might be right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, but it, it, it seems that there's, there's just as much notoriety over the last several years for photographers um, that can be attributed to dumb luck 
maybe not just as much, but you know, things going viral that yeah. that that wouldn't have had the opportunity to go viral twenty years ago or like ten the, years ago. The the guy who shot all the dogs jumping into water. Yeah, or I mean, even the falling bear. Yep, ah, uh, the falling bear. You know, I mean that put a lens over this guy and and any subsequent work at least for for a little bit of time um because of the viral nature of that of that photograph and and to to your point the guy with the dogs jumping in the pool um that's led to multiple books um you know a, a complete change in trajectory of his career yeah that maybe wouldn't have been possible yeah. Several years ago, you know, I go back and forth between. Um, how do I put this? <sighs> Trying to find a way to maintain a more even business from a, you know, making enough money to survive kind of way, right? You know what I mean? Trying to even that out, sure, because right? things come and go as you're a freelancer. Um. Try to do that while at the same time not compromising my beliefs in what I'm trying to do, you know? But isn't there a danger then of of maybe not finding a new trajectory for yourself and, and for for your work if you're trying to sort of stay that creative course close to what you know? I mean, yeah, these, these photographs of Katrina Eugenia, they're – they're different than what you normally shoot, but they're not that different. No, they're not that different. No, no, no. They ended up not as different as I wanted them to be, in fact. Mm -hmm. And that's partially because I shoot a certain way. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and you know what? They look like they look like my pictures. Sure. You know? um, and, but and maybe, maybe, maybe you need to be shooting something, at least a project or two, that doesn't look like your pictures. Yeah, I know. But it's funny because it's almost like I don't know how to do that because I, sh I shoot the way I shoot. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Uh, you get into those kinds of things, and you also get the question of okay, if if I'm if I'm constantly trying to do something new, I mean, is it in this very? Does this world want a jack of all trades, or does this world prefer somebody who is really good at what they do, and that's what they're known for? You know, do they want this specialist? It feels like the world is 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 moving towards specialists as opposed to. Uh, Renaissance people. I don't know. I think it. I th I think that is discipline specific. Okay. You know, I, if if you've ever looked at uh, in the last few years, looked at the the designer and art director job boards. Um, it used to be where um, you needed to to know Photoshop and Illustrator. Yep. And now it's. You need to know Photoshop, Illustrator, PHP, Perl. Uh, you need to be able to code front end, back end, uh, write database queries in Notepad because we don't want you using an editor. Um, Select you know, star from yeah, yeah, it, it, and that's literally what's <laughs> I'll write happening. You some SQL queries, would you please? I, I would appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> you know, so in that respect, they're looking for people that that can can walk in the art world the design world and the programming world. Yep. And previously those worlds were very segmented. Yeah. If you were on the creative side, you were not on the back end side and vice versa. Well, it's, it's, um, it's, I mean, I, I do all of my own. I do my stuff kind of soup to nuts, right? I shoot, I light, I do my post. I'm sort of anal that way. Like I want control. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I've met photographers in the last week who, you know, didn't really know how to export it a certain size, you know? So, I mean, there's, there's people out there who are still uh, maybe too closed down and how they do things, you know, mm-hmm. or too mm-hmm. specialized. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, maybe what I need to do is, is go shoot street photography, even though I'm not a big fan of street photography or, or, you know, go shoot some more well, landscapes. I definitely think that, that shaking it up and, and not, not doing, maybe not doing a project or two that, that you can go, well, yeah, that's, that's, you know, it's a little different, but that's the way, that's the way I shoot. Maybe you, you take a complete right turn and see, see where you land between it and what you're used to. And I don't know what that it is. That's the hard you know, part. Yeah, maybe it's street photography. Maybe it's sports photography. I, I, I don't know. Do you think that these things are decisions you can make, though, or, or, or that it just it finds you? That meandering around is part of the process to find the thing that's different. I, th- I think some of it is conscious. You know, when I, I had a talk with John Keatley a while back, and he he was kind of in the camp of you know you shoot the things that you that you want you shoot the things personally that you want to be shooting professionally right because nobody's going to hire you for what you say you can do true they're going to hire you for what you what you do what you can show them that you've done so if if you want your 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 career or your your professional trajectory to go in a in a new direction then then that's where your personal projects want to come from. That's where what's and I think you did that with with drabbles. I think you did that with motion. Yep. Your motion studies. And I think that But people generally don't hire me for that kind of stuff. They hire me for more straight portraiture. At the moment. Yeah. Sure. Maybe. You know, but y- you never know who's gonna see a photograph and and go, oh my gosh, you know what? I I need to do that. I need, I need to have that in my hotel chain or my, you know, Paris yeah, loft would be or nice. whatever, you know, our friend Kingsley licensed a bunch of images to this German hotel chain and they're very different than what most people would know him for. Yeah. You know, and it was because he, he kind of went outside his own comfort zone and said, I'm going to try something different. And it yielded some really amazing work that, resonated with with uh you know this client of his but had he not taken that right turn and stepped out of his comfort zone wouldn't have happened so difficult i mean it's not difficult doing something new i mean there's a fear involved of course you know like Mm -hmm. i I don't if you know if i start going and taking sports photos right now or action shots i'm not going to be good at it you know this this weekend uh i was down in dc because it was my nephew's birthday his second birthday and I had my camera and I was just taking random pictures of Bert running around playing with new toys or, you know, with a balloon or whatever it is. And I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at taking pictures of kids. Um, people who can do that, I'm more power to them, but man, I can't do it at all. So hats off. Um, the idea that I would say start doing something like that to get good at it, it's frustrating because I do think that I'm good at other kinds of photography. The idea that to to admit to myself that I'm no good at, as a photographer. Even a, at that one genre? Even that even one genre is just, I don't know, there's something about it that bothers me, you know. 
it, you keep, know, it keeps a, me. It want. It makes me want to put it underneath something and stick my head in the sand and be like, okay, so I'm not good at that. I'm just not going to do it. Right. Um, you know, but but of course, not every. Of course, all photographers are not good at all photography. You know. Sure. Uh, but, but maybe you do some experiments. You know, maybe maybe I don't know. Uh, Zach Arias did a, a, a post. Oh, well, he's done a couple posts actually about you know he's he's trying with his a hand snap to white background and a reflection underneath. No, no, no. He's doing he's he's shooting some weddings. Okay, but he's shooting them in a he's he's trying to get people to let him shoot weddings in the way he would like to shoot them. Not not going by the sort of you know requisite wedding shot list that right. that that many wedding photographers use. He's wanting to to take this this framework or genre of wedding photography, but apply his filter or grid to it and see what comes out of it. The other side, what kind of pictures are they? Uh, I've not seen anything really. I've just heard the, I've read the post and, and heard him talk about it in a couple of videos. It's interesting. Um, it's interesting if it actually leads to something new. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, like I've been meaning lately to, Use I have one I to to pull out my four by five and do some really really thin depth of field shots with my four by five on that Fuji uh, thirty two hundred speed instant film. Right, which didn't you you said you got some at? I got some. I haven't loaded it up and used it yet. Um, but I've been meaning to do it. You know what I need to do is just pull it out and have it out so that when people come over, they can just you know I can just sit them down. Um, and 3200 speed, man, that's fast enough that I could use the camera wide open with just a, a, a little tiny, you know, a, a soft box from above or some kind of thing like that, you know. But how uh, is that different? How How is just using a, dis- a different piece of hardware but shooting the same? Well, I wouldn't normally shoot that like that. Um, okay. Uh, the, the, I mean, do, the kind of pictures I want to take, I mean, they will be different. Because shooting with a four by five is very different, you know. Okay. Uh, my idea, my idea was that I would only use one frame per person. Ah, okay. So and you get what you get. One shot. And would you include the bad stuff? Like, in, in, like this. This is the body of work from these sessions. Good, bad, love, hate doesn't matter. If I'm showing it to an art buyer, maybe not. But I'll put them all up on the blog. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so not. I going, think that would be interesting. I'm, I'm get, certainly not going crack. to put weeks. Yeah, well, that's that's what's interesting, because um, stuff's too expensive to use otherwise. I mean, it's not that bad. It's four, three or four dollars a shot. Um, but I think it, but I think it's different because it's all about preparation. I mean, that's what that's what the big cameras are all about. It's taking your time to do it right, you know, to get that one image. That's that's, and then and then it's also instant film, right? So it's an object, right? I mean, it won't be digital until I scan it or whatever I do. Um, which is also interesting because it's not actually that high res. I mean, these Polaroids are not, you know, they're not going to blow you away and be able to print an entire wall of it. I don't know. You're right. I I agree with what you're saying. And I also, I also fall back on, you know what you should, if, if taking portraits of people is what I gravitated to in the first place, then why should I drag too far from that? You know? Hey, you're the one who said you wanted to do something different. No, I do. I do. I'm just I'm just saying that like where is where's that line? Well, maybe maybe, okay. Piggybacking on what you just said about one shot per person. Sure. Maybe maybe that barrier or that hurdle is enough 
for that particular project. You know, you did this project in 2007, the 365. Yep. And that had a set of restrictions that you placed on yourself. Sure. Um, maybe it's just in the restriction. Maybe that's enough. Maybe it's just rather than saying you can use every color to paint this. Yeah. You say, no, you can paint exactly the same way you paint, but you can only use black, white, and pink. Well, that's the other interesting thing. I generally don't shoot black and white all that often. Mm-hmm. You know, I like color. So, so then just do it. Start yeah. today. Yeah, I got to find somebody. Maybe Heather. Put out a call on the Twitter. I haven't shot any pictures of Heather lately. Need to do more of that. Yeah, you should. Then maybe get a website. <laughs> <laughs> oh, inside jokes. Okay. Yeah. Um <laughs> All right, who's the photographer of the week this week? Uh, let's let's talk about Ernst Haas. Ernst Haas, you like this guy? I do, actually. Yeah, I he I, died pretty I young, like him an awful Six, lot. 60, 65 years old. A lot of inspiration. A lot of lot of um, you can see both uh, who he has been inspired by and who he has inspired in sure. his work, and I I, yeah. I like that quite a bit. Uh, he was Austrian. He was born nineteen twenty one. Uh, he was in medical school. He left to become a staff photographer for a magazine. Uh, and then he apparently won uh, a photo essay. He did a photo essay for the magazine on prisoners of war coming home to Vienna. And uh, Robert Kappa saw them and asked him to join Magnum, which is right back to where we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so he and another guy were the first people to be invited to join Magnum by its founders, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, he started go doing, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I, I like his stuff an awful lot. I, I see some Saul lighter here. I see yeah. uh, some really beautiful black and white work. I mean, he's really a contemporary of Saul lighter in many ways, you know? Um, he, he used to shoot a lot of stuff for uh, Marlboro cigarettes, apparently. He did a lot hmm. of those ads uh, and stuff for Life Magazine and uh, popular photography. Listed him as one of the top ten photographers in the world. Museum of Modern Art did a whole thing. Uh, it's funny; most of his books are not really available. I went and looked on Amazon, and the two books that I'd want of his are only for sale, like for five hundred dollars from random. See, and, and why are these not existing? I mean, publishers. If there are any publishers or people who know why are these not existing in electronic form why have we lost some of these classic books what's the downside especially on something like an ipad where you could actually see these images and 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 get a better get a view of them without having to print them you know absolutely um he also got into doing uh, sequences for movies apparently he did the creation sequence in the bible uh uh, by john houston Hmm. which is which is kind of odd um it is kind of odd. So he died of a stroke when he was 65 mm. years old. Uh, Randy, my buddy, who apparently used to assist for him, was telling me, I think it was Ernst Haas, he, he went in to shoot some guy, and Ernst was old, and he was shooting with uh, some handheld camera, like a Leica or something, um, it, and it was, I think it was Kodachrome he was shooting, and he was shooting handheld at like a 15th of a second, at like F4 in this room. Wow. And he's like this old guy, right? You know? Um, and then even when they needed light, 
he was like, oh, Randy, you know, go out to the car and get our fabulous, you know, our, our fantastic studio lighting kit. And so Randy goes out to the car, opens up the, the trunk, and the only thing he can find are like these basically like these uh, work lights. You know, like, like, like Home Depot type yeah, lights? with like a 250 watt bulb in it. Nice. So he brings them in and he's like, oh yeah, those are them. Just plug it in and point it up at the ceiling. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Boom. And they, and there they, you go. And they shot. I forget what it was for. It was like for uh, some car company. Maybe it was it was the um, Marlboro. But these ended up being like it was like for the CEO and and vice pre- and president of the company, uh, like a portrait of them in front of a big mural for the uh, annual wow. report or something. You know. Wow. Um, but it just shows you, man. You don't need a lot of stuff. You know. Uh, he yeah, ga- I I like his stuff. Yeah, he gave. I like up- his show, his slow shutter speed stuff a lot. Oh yeah, so he started doing a lot of that kind of. Uh, we're just going to drag the shutter and see what kind of crazy, uh, 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 what's it called stuff we get um, blurred kind of look. Now, uh, did you did you look directly at his work for inspiration for your motion? No, pieces? my my stuff uh, was all about. Um, oh, what the heck's the guy's name now? See, now you put me on the spot. A different guy, a, uh, a, a Sports Illustrated guy that I that hmm. I really liked, um, who took a shot of a boxer and, and the and the the um, guys like red glove blurred across the frame, which I really liked. Oh, okay. But in many ways, this is this is totally within line of of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he he has a couple good quotes I found too. He said, um, "There's only you and your camera. The limitations in your photography are in yourself." For what we see is what we are. It's a good quote. It's a good quote. He also said, uh, "I'm not interested in shooting new things. I'm interested. I'm interested to see things new." Which is also a good quote. Well, his subject matter is all over the map, from street and sort of reportage to um, abstracts, uh, nudes. I mean, it, it, there, there's there's a lot of content here. Yeah, no, Ernst Haas is great, and he was also like one of the pioneers to of, of color, along with Saul Leiter. Mm-hmm. These, these were the first guys who were really using color uh, for 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 art. You know, um, th- there's that famous picture of the strip somewhere with the, you know the uh, with all the signs going up the street. You know so what I'm what, talking about Conoco the, sign, the Conoco, Conoco sign? sign on the yeah. left. Yeah, yeah, it's a gorgeous picture. Yeah. Um, that very Saul Leiter, that yes. picture. Yeah, it's but interestingly enough, I mean, it's Saul Leiter, but at the same time, it's it's a very long lenses in a way mm-hmm. that Saul wasn't really using. You know, I mean, a lot of these pictures, but he also does reflection kind of stuff that's a little ache. He does a little stuff that's very Carter Bresson. You know, I mean, he's 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 all over the place. Um, kind of makes him interesting. Uh, very. So uh, Ernst Haas, we're gonna we'll put some uh, links in the show notes. I mean, he did landscapes. I just I just wish that it kind of feels like um, it's harder and harder to do this nowadays to have a very varied portfolio, you know, um, where you have landscapes and still lifes and portraits and that kind of stuff to sell yourself self to to buyers and things. It's 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 difficult. I will tell you that in my experience, it's been difficult because they want you to sit on one thing. You know, is is there a reluctance to even look at a different body of work when you when you when you go into say say an agent or an art buyer that that's familiar with you already? 
Yeah. And you go in and say, Hey, I've got some new stuff. I want to run past you. Is there, is there a reluctance to even look at it because they've kind of got you a little in, bit? Yeah. Genre X. It's funny because I went to meet with um, some art buyers recently. And the reason I got in there was because I shot some still life for my friend Craig for some work. Which you're he was not doing really for known them. for. No. Yeah. And I mean, I can certainly do that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it's still life is almost in some ways more of a technical. Uh, thing than it is an artistic thing, at least the kind of stuff that I was doing, which was so some it's ways, easy like fashion, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, sh- shooting source material for him to Photoshop and stuff. You're going to get in trouble for that. I'm not saying that all fashion is easy. I'm saying that to take, you know, your your basic fashion shots to make somebody look good in a dress, if they look really good, that's not that hard. It's like to, taking a bad picture of Heidi Klum. Exactly. Okay. To take really amazing fashion photography that sort of transcends your run-of-the-mill fashion photography, you know, the sort of the gets above the noise floor, I think that's very exceedingly difficult. And I believe that not many people do that. But, you know, taking your straight shots, get get a big octobox, get some pretty people, get some nice backgrounds, and you'll be fine. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to get killed for that. Uh, <laughs> I say nothing. Yeah. It, that, that's my arrogant, cynical, sour, hypercritical personality speaking. That's that, Sure, that's part of it. Um but the stuff that I was doing for Craig was I was shooting I was shooting this money for him, and, okay. Um, and he was going to do all kinds of Photoshop to it. So I mean, it was really just taking quality pictures that are high enough res that were sharp and whatever. And when I went in and showed them, they said, "Oh, this you know you you shoot portraits." And I was just like, "Yes, I mean, if you really want me to shoot still life, I can do that." <laughs> but this is the stuff that I'm more known for, you know. Um, so they were actually a little surprised by that. Uh, but I, so, but I, but I think it's difficult. You know, uh, we haven't done Albert Watson as our photographer of the week, have we? No, we were going. Okay. I thought we were going to do him this week. Uh, we'll have to. Well, I'm sorry. Well, well, Ernst is this week. We'll we'll do Albert Watson next week. Uh, now, if we do Albert Watson, you have to let me talk about David Carson, who I know you don't like very much. Uh, yeah, we can do that. All right, because I like David Carson. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Ugh, what what does that even mean? <laughs> There's just something. Oh, there's something about David Carson's work. Uh, you know, it's no, awesome. You, That's what no, there is. You know about what it, it is? It's not so much David Carson that upsets me. It's what people have done with David Carson's work that upsets me. You know what I mean? You, it's you it's, how, it's they, how it's been elevated. The, no, the cheap imitations of David Carson. Oh, okay. Are the so the people, about, it's it's not David Carson that you have a problem with. It's it's people he, knocking he off. He kind of bothers me. I'm more of a modernist when it comes to type and design. So like the whole like like grungy kind of thing doesn't do it for me. All right. But we'll talk about that when we talk about Albert Watson. Um, that would but, be good. But the reason why I bring up Albert Watson is that he is one of the guys who has a portfolio and a website, and the stuff that he shows is varied in the way that I only wish I could be. Mm-hmm. But at my stage in my career and at my place in, in the world, I find it I, – I find that people don't want to see a large, varied portfolio. They want to see – you know, I, in some ways, I even think my portfolio is too varied as it is. The fact that I take this conceptual sort of portrait stuff and these more straight portraits, I think there's a lot of people who see those as almost two separate photographers. Okay, so why? Well, and and you know what? Let's let's save this for next week. But I'd like you to think about, and, and maybe listeners too, why is it okay for somebody like Watson or or photographers with with a, a long history to reinvent themselves or is it more okay 
is is there this notion that they've done everything or uh, i think because it does seem it does seem like the 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 longer you're in the industry the, the more willing the audience might be to let you try new things is that yeah. fair um I think that what we see are a lot of successful photographers who then start changing things up. I think part of the thing of that is they want to try something new. They also have the financial means because they've been successful in other things in order to be able to try something new, right? Mm -hmm. And even if they try something completely different than what they normally do, people are still going to notice because it has the name on it, whether or not it's good work, you know? Um so then, so then it, it kind of does make sense that the reputation allows you some leeway to try some new things. It certainly gets some more eyes on it that maybe wouldn't have been there before. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that everyone's successful in this kind of stuff. I mean, Avedon went from that fashion stuff to the, you know, black and white on the, on the white background stuff. Um, in some ways, he was taking chances by going that minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we don't see is maybe there were three or four years there where Avedon was trying to make a change, was doing that kind of work, and no one noticed. You know, it um, wasn't until that series of breakthrough photographs for right the for American, in the West, American West, right? Yeah. You know, and he worked for years in the American West, right? But I mean, he he had a lot of money. I think he had a quarter million dollars that he he spent on that to do mm. it. But maybe at the time, I mean, maybe that's a bad example, but maybe at the time for him, I mean, we see we see these big famous guys as this one continuous success story. Sure. Where I think it's much more up and down in there. And it only kind of, it only smooths out with sort of the compression of, of past experience of of looking at it in hindsight, you know? Okay. But that it's much more up and down. Um, but then there's guys like Karsh who, as far as I know, never really went outside their normal place. They just got incredibly good at the one thing that they did do. You know, I think right. those pictures and of, sort of taste and sensibility came around to them. Right. I think right. that I think that those pictures of Katrina that I took are very pretty pictures. I think some of them are as good as any work that I've ever done. I don't think that they're very original for me, but I think they are very high quality images. Does that make sense? Okay. Sure. Um, and that does bother me in some way because it's like, well, okay, I I can do really pretty images of a pretty girl that doesn't prove anything to myself that I am a good, you know, that I'm, that I'm growing as a photographer. And I know that's something that's important to you. Yeah. The idea of of growth. I think it's, I think it should be important to any artist. Mm -hmm. I mean, growth is, uh, that's the whole point, right? I mean, if you're just doing the same thing the whole time, then it's not art, you know? Um, I don't know. I guess we could end there. Yeah, that's good. Think that was useful? So, yeah, no, I, I think that growth is important and it, and it should be important and it should be, you know, part of, part of your workflow. You know, not that you have to write yourself a post-it and say, you know, grow today, but... I have those. <laughs> I swear to God, I have big giant posters up on my wall and they say things like, no more boring photos. Find and use better backgrounds. Nice. Um, take more chances. I, I have the Holstein Manifesto above my desk. So, so you know, I think maybe in some ways you have to you have to be pushed to the point that you end up reinventing yourself. 
You know, sometimes or, or sometimes, at least stretching so far that the perception is that you've reinvented yourself. Yeah. You can still have those same core uh, creative impulses and sure. and that same grid or filter, but because you've you know, let's face it, you don't have to make a huge change. You can you can make kaleidoscopic changes. Just a little bit uh, yeah. can change the perception of 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 the work and the direction of the work. Absolutely. Um, hold on a uh, I mean, I think if I stopped taking the kinds of pictures I take today and started shooting something completely different, I could come back to shoot exactly the way I'm shooting now five years from now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've shot that way long enough that it's, it's, it's that it's sort of that's stuck. You know, I know yeah. how to ride yeah. that bike, you know? Yeah. Um, and in many ways, that's kind of what, what makes me fidgety. I could start a new project where I do some crazy new fancy thing taking the same kind of pictures but what I'm does sorry, that get did, did you just say you could start a fancy thing yes you know okay no but i could right i could start some sure. new project where i get oh i'm getting all these great people and i'm taking these great pictures but like how is that any different from anything i've ever done right right um well you don't know until you do it you don't know until you do it uh and that's and that's the thing and the difference between thinking it and doing it is doing it <laughs> that's that is true <laughs> All right, we're we're way over. We are. So, so but, uh, I don't know. I think this is good stuff. I, it, it potentially. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, write to us at podcast at ontakingpictures.com. Yep. Uh, look for us on iTunes. Leave a rating. Leave a, leave a review if if you so desire, or uh, send Bill a nasty tweet. Yes, Bill Wadman. W A D M A N. At Bill Wadman. And you can follow me or send me a nasty tweet as well, I guess. Uh, Jeffrey Sidoris, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S. And uh, we'll see you next week. And uh, tell your friends about us. Tell your friends. If you tell at least one friend, and then they tell one friend. It'd be better if you told two friends, then we'd get exponential. Exponential, that's good. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.